If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Hi everyone, yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM at Keysport. 107.5 FM, WLDJ, Newcastle, 1620 AM, Huntingdon, Mixtape Radio International, Steel FM, Radio 99.1 FM, Rehoboth, Delaware, Orca Radio in Owensboro, Kentucky, and streaming on italknet.com and also on pghtalkradio.com. Well, welcome to the program today. Glad you could join us. And our guest this evening, just so I can preface this before we get in, she is not related to me. Same last name, but no relation whatsoever. <laughs> On the phone line right Hi. now, we have Carrie Alexander. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm in sunny Florida, so I don't have any complaints right now. Oh, lucky you. Lucky you. Yes, lucky me. But I have to say a big shout out to my people in Kentucky. I I heard that you uh, reached the people in Owensboro, Kentucky. Yes. I grew up in Kentucky. Uh, that's where I went to college, and that's where I had my first broadcasting job. So um, that's where all my family, uh, you know, still resides. So I have a big heart for that area. Well, I'm I'm glad. I didn't realize that that you were from uh, this the wonderful state of Kentucky. So you are doing a podcast now called Carry the Light. Can you explain to me what that is all about? Well, you know, it's so interesting that we started off with a, you know, hey, I'm from Kentucky kind of thing. Because, honestly, Carry the Light is about um, shedding light into the world. It is chasing away darkness. And I want to illuminate all those wonderful people out there in the world who are doing such great things. And there's so many more of those people than there are that are doing bad out there. Right. And then also inspire people to maybe, you know, get an idea of, of what, how they can use their time or talent or something simple they could do to make this world a better place. Because we all have power and we all have impact. And that all comes from my upbringing in Kentucky. I grew up in a very, very small town in Kentucky called Battletown. And it was very rural. And so we all took care of one another. It didn't have to be verbalized. didn't have to be asked. You just stepped up and helped out whenever somebody needed something and vice versa. So that's how I was raised to be, and that's how I thought the world was. And then I got out there, and I saw, well, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. You know, people are inherently good, and there are some amazing work being done out there. And I just wanted to share their story. 
Well, that is great. Now, can you give our audience a little bit of background of who you are? <laughs> sure. That can be complicated. I, I, no, um... I love asking that question. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a small town girl who's lived a very big life. Uh, I've been very fortunate to, um, um, I was one of the very few people um, around my area to go to college. Um, I went to the University of Kentucky, go Cats. Um, but from that, I met a mentor by the name of David Dick, who was a CBS Emmy Award winning journalist. And um, I have always loved uh, getting to know people and storytelling. And um, so I got into journalism. And uh, from there, I got to take jobs all across the United States of America. I have friends all across the state. And then I also got a chance to live, you know, these little microcosms of cultural, um, you know, beliefs and systems okay. and ways of life. And it was just fantastic. So, um, and I've interviewed everything from serial killers to presidents and prime ministers. And I've covered disaster relief and uh, projects. And I've covered, you know, bombings. And um, so I've seen humanity at its worst. And I've seen it at its best. And I will tell you, there's a whole lot more best than there is worse. Now, when, when we t when we talk about that, because um, myself being in the uh, in the field, not as much as I used to be, because I used to work radio full time oh, a long time ago before I went into my new line of work, which now I'm an educator. And um, with that being said, one thing we were always told is the reason we see the news stories we see today is because that's what sells violence and blood. If it mm -hmm. bleeds, it leads. And that's mm -hmm. what sells. So that's why we don't see the positive feel good stories. So with mm -hmm. your podcast, that's what you're focusing on, right? Just the feel good stories that are going on throughout the country and maybe throughout the world. Correct. Well, it's not just feel good. It's, it's like, Wow, look what it may be, you know, like I just interviewed a woman the other day named Rachel Faulkner Brown. Well, she um, lost two husbands tragically before like the age of 30. Oh, wow. And then her third husband suffered from severe depression. You know, one of her husbands died in a plane crash and he was a pilot. And one just dropped dead at the age of, you know, like before the age 30 on a basketball court. And and so she's had a heck of a journey, but now she uses her journey as a as like a toolbox for helping other people and how she lifts them up. And she's just like incredible. She says, you know, her her past is someone's worst nightmare, but her present her present is you know living joyfully and fully. And so I've met so many of these people who have come to the brink of themselves, um, and then found an amazing, fulfilling life, a real passion, a real purpose. And then I've also, you know, found people who have, you know, done amazing things to help other people. So some are feel good and some are just like these amazing group tragedies, but with a wonderful ending okay. uh, to them that comes full, full circle. So when, whenever you, whenever you look at these, you're looking at these, and I guess we could use the word inspirational, where people who have gone mm -hmm. through trials and tribulations are able to, to still see the positive that goes on in the world and keep moving forward. What made you want to tell these stories to a large audience? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. Um, one is, you know, my background, like I said, the experiences that I had, um, how I grew up 
things that I saw. Number two, as you talk about being an educator, one of the things I do is I train kids on how to help other people, uh, really with a focus on natural disaster relief. But we do a little bit of everything. We look at the problems in the world and we're like, okay, how can we make this better? We may not be able to solve the you know, whole problem, but how can we make it better? And brainstorming with kids is fantastic because they don't have the normal boundaries that adults right. do and they're not yet, you know? So um, we they do the most extraordinary things at such a young age. And I think if they can see how empowered they are to help other people at age nine, imagine what they'll do at 30. Mm-hmm. And so when they inspire me continuously and they've inspired their parents and other adults. And so... I was like, you know what, sometimes, and and I also did a huge project for the uh, Boston bombing uh, victims. It was called the America for uh, Boston Prayer Canvas. And I can tell you more about that story, but it was incredibly powerful, the experience I had through that. And I found that everybody, most everybody I've met wants to do something. They just don't know what to do or how to approach it. And they may not have money to donate or they may may you know, want to do something hands-on. It's just, they're, they're not sure what to do. And so I thought, you know what? If people hear these stories, they might be inspired to pull themselves out of a bad place that they may be right now or lift a helping hand to someone else or see, I have power and I have an essence I'm going to leave behind on this planet. What is it going to be and how am I going to do it? Um, so that is why I wanted to share their stories. So just listening to you, you sound like a very positive and upbeat person. I try to be. I, I would think my friends would tell you that. I think the pandemic plays with everybody a little bit. But yes, no, I yeah. always try. Yeah, I, I, that was quite the exercise um, and continues to be so. But um, I really, really try to be because you know what? You get one go around on this planet. And so every every second that takes by, you don't get it back. And so now that's a constant exercise for me of gratitude and of thanksgiving. Um, but it's also like, okay, what do I tell my kids all the time? Like, okay, what does complaining get you? Um, nothing. So you got to figure it out. Now, all of us need to vent from time to time, and that's okay. You do that. But then, you know, get to work. You know, get to action. Every successful person I've ever met in any field or any way of life, it comes from hard work, diligence, and problem solving. And so I believe it's the same thing. You know, you've got to practice that. You know, strengthen that muscle every day. For me, um, prayer is a huge point in my life. That's my, quote, coping mechanism is to give it up to God. And guess what? That unburdens me quite a bit. So um, it helps keep me in a more positive-minded place. So with how long has the podcast been on? Uh, let's see. I started it in the fall because... <laughs> My natural inclination, one of the things that bugged me the most about the pandemic, which there's a lot of things, uh-huh. but is that it, it limited, or so I first thought, my ability to help other people. Because I, I, I try to get out there and I try to be as hands-on as possible. And when I saw people starting to really sink into depression and feel isolated, and I kept hearing the stories over and over, I did projects where we made prayer cases, where we made pillowcases with positive messages for oh, okay. COVID patients uh, and things like that. And we made hand sanitizer for the homeless and, you know, did food and things like that. But um, the podcast, I was like, you know what, let's, let's get out there and we, let's start connecting people 
who are making an incredible impact on this planet. And let's, let's shed some light on them and, you know, take away the darkness with light instead of darkness with darkness. And I also didn't like seeing the country becoming so divided and so much hate seemed to be kind of rising. And we weren't looking for our common unity, right. community anymore. And we were focusing on how we were different when we all have something where we're alike. So if you find that common ground, a lot of other things fall into place, including respect and kindness. And so I wanted to try to promote that and bring us back together instead of continuing to watch the media where it was just more fractionized. I mean, everybody was um, split or, you know, I see a lot of the newscasters like basically yelling on a set every day. And I think, gosh, that's going to be an exhausting job. Yeah. <laughs> but keeping people spun up. And, and I was seeing families even getting torn apart and i thought well wait a minute let's let's back up let's look at big picture here and let's let's take take a moment let's let's look at this and so um so anyway i just wanted to show all the positivity so if you don't mind me asking what year did you graduate from college i graduated from the university of kentucky in 1995 okay because the reason... So I'm, you know, 28. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so I'm the ripe age of 28. Well, I, I was going to say, you, you then you must be like, you must have went when you were three. Because... Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I was a prodigy. Because <laughs> the picture on your website, you don't look that old, just to let you know. Um, but the reason I asked that... <laughs> the reason I asked that question is because in 1995, after graduating, because I graduated... Um, actually only a few years before you get, I graduated from college in 88 with my degree in uh, broadcasting and looking at that period of time, it is much different than it is now. There wasn't, oh, there, there yeah. wasn't that, 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 the, uh, as you said it, the left, the right, the fighting, the, uh, the, the country being torn apart, everything seemed to be much calmer and when you got out of school and started broadcasting you were really just telling stories if you would have graduated two years ago do you think the your approach to what you're doing now would be totally different (laughs) oh um absolutely a hundred percent i actually did a podcast with sam rather talking about this exact same thing Dan rather is a friend and mentor of mine and we talked about how uh, journalism has changed yeah and with that the impact that it's had because you know when i was in journalism uh first of all my main goal was to be impartial from every, how i inflected my voice to how i presented something i wanted to make sure i had you know good sources i was being fair and balanced and really meant that and um and i kept my own personal beliefs out of it because that was not my job my job was to give the facts and then you decide where you land on it and i felt that that was a really important job it it helped keep um you know government in line it it helped inform the 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 public it you know and i just really saw that as an incredible service and then i remember watching the shift happen and uh for me um, I started seeing the shifts happen when uh, Anna Nicole Smith, I remember looking at her 
funeral uh, procession, uh-huh. and they they covered that forever. They had those those cameras on, and I started seeing that, and then from there it just it just kept going, and then it became now it's more shock journalism, uh, more like infotainment, but people take it as face value, and so depending where you're getting your news. It's slanted, so you can watch one place and then you can watch another place. Right. And but you have to. I watch a multitude of uh, journalists now, and I read three papers a day, and I also do my own research if I question something. But a lot of people don't have the time or the inclination to do that, and they trust people that they're giving them facts. And I think that is real abuse of power because when you don't you know, make it clear that you're not just giving the news, that you're you're intertwining an opinion to it. I think it's very unfair for those out there and how they receive the information. So yes, I mean there was this whole journalistic integrity thing that we we tried so hard to abide by. And um I remember one of my jobs in California that I had, I got into it with the news director because he wanted me to cover. He had decided that there was a salacious store opening in this neighborhood in California that was known to be more, you know, conservative. Okay. And so he sent me there, and it wasn't at all what he thought it was, but he wanted me to still paint it that way, and I refused to do it. So, um, yeah, there's, there's been definitely a big switch from Edward R. Murrow days. Well, the interesting thing is you said when Anna Nicole Smith died, which was 2007, I see Mm -hmm. the shift happening before that. Oh, with O.J.? O.J. Simpson, because that's when we went Mm -hmm. on the 24-hour news cycle. And Mm -hmm. we needed to make, and I hate to use this term, but I will, but we needed to make up news to make people keep watching. And that's when I started to see the shift change and then whenever 9-11 came into play, it actually started to pit us against them. And you started mm-hmm. to have these uh, these um, talk show hosts, these anchors, whatever you want to call them, where they became prominent and they were the opinion makers. I think whenever you gave a so-called, and I'm using the word so-called in quotes, journalist, the ability to make an opinion, even though they're not a journalist but were looked as one, that is when things change because, like you said, you're looking at three cable news networks now where that is not news. That is infotainment. No. And these people do yeah. not have a background in doing this because their background mm-hmm. is more of an entertainment or maybe even politics, but they don't have mm-hmm. the ethics that we would have if going to a four-year university. Because remember, for us to get on the air anywhere, we had, a four, had, had to have a four-year degree in our back pocket. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the other thing that made the shift, too, is once things, the news cycle moved a lot faster. Like you talked about the 24-hour news cycle, but then you also had live. You yes. Know, so you could, you had to move. So you had to go live at 5 o'clock. So you had to have your story in. You had to have it done, you know. And so then people started foregoing, you know, several sources. If they had one source, they just go with it. And knowing that the retraction, nobody who no, reads the retraction, not like at in the all. newspaper, yeah. and and who reads it? You know, with, you know, it's so they're just like, okay, I want to be first. I got to be first. I got to have it first. So they didn't care if it was right. It just got to be first. 
And that that was a real disservice as well because um, you didn't gather all the information. You didn't look at both sides of the issue. You were just the first one to get it up. And that's a real problem when you don't take a beat to figure it out, especially, again, you have a lot of power because you are disseminating your information to thousands or millions of people, and they may not get any more information on that topic from anyone else but you that day. So um, I took it very seriously, and I still to this day, and Dan Rather wrote an amazing book. It's called What Unites Us. And um, he's fascinating to talk to anyway because he's like a walking history book. If, if you'd like, um, I'll but, give you my phone number. You can have him get in touch with me because I would love to. Um, cause, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he's, he's, he's a amazing. Um, and, and I hate to say it, but I literally grew up watching him on the and the CBS Nightly News. Um, the other thing is too is how do you feel social media is playing into this? You know, uh, for someone, again, you know, journalists, we believe in freedom of, um, you know, the press, freedom of, uh, you know, freedom of speech, of expression, things of that uh, nature. What I don't, there's a few things I don't like. I don't like not having any accountability. I don't like that people can be anonymous and say awful things or make outlandish accusations. And then it just runs with that. It's true. Right. Um, you know, if you can't put your name to it, if you can't say it to my face, you shouldn't say it at all. And so I have a real problem with people getting on there. I think it's very cowardly and irresponsible to do things like that. Um, and then also state things that you're not sure about is true. And so that's another real problem because now you have a lot of people on who are presenting their information as in, you know, well vetted, well thought out. And it's not. And they, they look to be journalists, but they're not. And there's a real difference there. They don't, they don't follow the same governors as a, a true journalist in the, in the traditional form of a journalist would be. And I'm not saying everyone. You can never say everyone right. at all times. But I'm just saying it definitely has an impact. And it has certainly had an impact on how divided our country has become. And a lot of it has been on false false information um, that has been, you know, spread and hyped. And um, that, that's really sad to me. It's really, really sad um, when things like that occur and it didn't have to. And it's all irresponsibility. And again, I, I think when people don't stand behind what they're saying, it's a real issue. The, the one thing that frustrates me about social media itself is that when you and I were in the working in the industry or before when we went to school, the people we were taught to trust were our parents, our teachers, and whoever you saw on the news on TV or on radio. Because that's mm -hmm. just the way it was and in clergy and so on and so forth. There was a very small circle that we were taught to trust. Then when social media came into play, these people became influencers and they're telling things that aren't true and people are believing them. If I tell a lie three times and I tell it over and over again, eventually someone's going to believe me and then they're going to start spreading it. And I think that's why mm -hmm. journalism and the news media today has such a negative connotation to it because people, if they don't like the facts, they're going to say that it's not real. 
And that's where we run into this problem going, where are we getting information from and who do we trust? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard for people to discern that. Who can I trust? Who who am I being misled from? And then you're you're hearing different things in all different angles. You know, the other thing with social media, too, I mean, just when I think, you know, when yeah, when I was growing up, you know, we had one telephone in our house and we had one TV and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And so I wasn't, I wasn't inundated with negative messages either. And I even thought about like when I was in high school, if any girl would have disliked me or whatever, they couldn't come home to me at home. Right. You know, they only had the office yeah. at school. I had some yeah. time off, you know, but, but now I think, oh my gosh, if, it, if, I, if I was in the same situation now, there is no telling what they could post or say, or where would my self worth, mm-hmm. you know, how much of it would be tied up into that. And so I just think there's, there's a lot of unintended consequences that came from social media. Now on the good side, I do a lot of natural disaster relief and it's a great way to let people know I need volunteers and here's what I need help with. Um, but when it gets abused, it's, it's frightening, utterly frightening frightening of how it connects everyone but in what ways is it connecting us now you, um, and that's that you made the comment you had one tv in the house and we all had a cord and mm-hmm. telephone which meant mom mm-hmm. and dad knew what we were doing at all times because if we watch tv they were usually in the room with us so if we mm-hmm. watched the news they were able to explain to us what we were seeing unlike today mm-hmm. where every kid has their own device have their own, I mean, just what they have is amazing because I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 26 years old and all you could do on that was make telephone calls. You couldn't even text (laughs) when I got my first one and I was paying an arm and a leg for the service. But when we gave them to them as young as five years old that are getting smartphones, and I hate Mm -hmm. to say this, to keep these kids busy... We have not taught them how to responsibly use the technology. And I think that's where oh, we're getting sure. into the trouble at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it can be, you know, almost like, and, and think about, they haven't developed, I mean, their brain hasn't even developed the ability to do like self-regulation, I mean, certain discernment, there's certain things that their brain physically is just not there yet. But they're on this, and as we know, a lot of these things uh, triggers the addictive portion of our brain, and so they start identifying with that, and then it, and then they start exploring the internet, and you can have all the safeguards you want on them, right? But these kids are super smart, and they know how to get around it. So it's almost like you're giving them a loaded gun to play with, yes, because there's a good chance. Okay, fine, the safety was on, and and they didn't get hurt, but then there's a chance. They hit the right button, it drops, it falls, it's accidental, but somebody gets hurt. Right. And so, um, there, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It is something that I think we're going to have to deal with with this generation pretty soon. Um, because what did we do with a whole generation of kids? What are their coping mechanisms? Mm-hmm. What are their responsibilities? Where is their truth finding? Are they doing any real research or are they just, you know, looking for answers? Uh, with, you know, blogs and YouTube, you know, kind of thing. And some of that stuff is incredibly helpful and insightful and educational, uh, but some is not. And right. uh, how do they know the difference, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's really tough as a parent, for sure. 
So, Carrie, I know you have a tight schedule today, and I appreciate you being with me, but I need to have you back on again so we can discuss this in uh, more depth because uh, I've done it with other people that have worked in the field, and it's very interesting to hear what their um, their their per- point is or their perspective on what's happening and how we can possibly fix it. But before I let you go, is there anything you want to say about your website, your podcast, and how we can get more people involved in what you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, actually, I have a contest going on right now for the Illuminator Award, and that is where I'm showcasing uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, which is a lot of what my podcast is about. So people can start uh, tuning in and listening, hearing their stories, and go on my website, carrythelight.com, which is K-A-R-I, thelight.com, and vote for their favorites uh, in the month of March. But in the meantime, like I said, I've got interviews with Dan Rather, Annika Sorensam, um, uh, Chris Jericho, um, lots of different people looking at the positive side of light, uh, positive side of light. And I hope that the stories that I have on there are inspirational for people and give some ideas of how they can help others. And you can also go on my website as well, and I have links to different organizations that they they might want to participate uh, with as well. So uh, thank you. And my podcast is on Spotify or, you know, Apple. So please feel free to tune in and listen. Well, Carrie, thank you very much. And you have an excellent day. And hopefully we'll talk again to you in the future. Thank you so much. You too. Uh, Have a wonderful day. Thank you. And thanks again to Carrie Alexander, like I said, no relation, (laughs) from her website, Carrie the Light, that's K-A-R-I, the light, dot com. And uh, positive stories and emotional stories of people just like you. And I think that's very important for us to get out to the audience that you guys understand that we're not going through this alone, that there's people like that and like us out there. So hopefully we can have Carrie back on the program to talk a little bit more about what she's doing and how the podcast is going and a little bit more talk about media. Cause you know, I love talking about media. <laughs> Anyhow, that's going to wrap it up. Here's truly Bill Alexander. I am out of here. You guys have a great one and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly Bill Alexander. This has been a million dollar baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. Hear that? 
That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.